You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Morning, honey. It's time for Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. We always start the week with the Word. Mm. The study we're doing has been about the book of Psalms for the past few months now, especially the Psalms of David. We picked up chapter 51. You and I have discussed this for many months. And finally, we're getting our mojo on with this <laughs> chapter of the book of Psalms. Not an easy one in a lot of ways, but it's also been a very comforting one. But anyway, welcome back to the microphone for episode three of this series. Hi, it's good to be here. The theme of this whole thing is climbing your way out of the pit, really. Yeah. But do you really get that done yourself? Can you actually get a foothold to climb your way out of your pit that you've created for yourself? I don't know. But David seemed to indicate that it is a collaborative process with God himself, and it requires brutal honesty. But there's been a lot of qualifiers. We could revisit some of those things that we've discussed in the past couple of weeks. But if you haven't had a chance to hear any of the series on Psalm 51, I encourage you to go to the Compassion Radio website. Under the podcast section, you'll see in descending order every Monday is an episode of Chasing the Word. Check those podcasts out and the study guides that come with them. We put a specific translation and some questions to prompt you about the chapter and the verse that we discussed on that program. We'd love for you to have a copy of that study guide. You know, one thing that always enlightens me, always encourages me about God, Micah tells us that it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. And yeah. sometimes kindness can feel really heavy. What I read here in Psalm 51 is not just the conviction of deep wrongdoing, but also the kindness of God to to love David and bring him back to relationship. I love that David is so intensely honest in his emotion, in his feelings, in his view of himself in light of his sin and his transgression. So we can be convinced and confident that this is what God desires for us. We look at ourselves intently and say, yeah, I really messed up here and I did some things that were evil in the sight of God, yet he loves us so passionately that he desires for us us to take a deep, long look and know that his love is deeper than even those horrible things that we've committed. Yeah, and the memories of them. Now, David has a very particular way of approaching things, and we've discussed before in other Psalms of David that he seems a bit presumptuous upon God's grace toward him. And it seems from our works-oriented attitudes that are so common even in believers that somehow David's free expression of his emotions and his expecting God to come to his rescue all the time seems a little bit over the top from our perspective because our Mm -hmm. personalities aren't quite the same as his. But we have to keep in mind that this is one man's testimony, and he put it to song. He does, in many ways, speak for all mankind because he goes through a whole range of emotions. That does not mean that the man, David, speaks for me every time I mm. feel something or that I feel everything he feels when these kind of things happen to me. Right. I think we need to be fair with Scripture about that. Just because David said it does not mean I must say it that way. Mm. And that somehow me saying it that way means that it has power. You know, the same thing I would say is true like of the Lord's Prayer. People asked him, how should we pray? If we can't pray like all these other professionals pray, how should we pray? Teach us. And Jesus said the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray like this. And he went through a whole list of things and orders. That's a great study in itself. You know, I may come back to that one in the next (laughs) few months. 
but he didn't say, pray this prayer every time. Mm. And we recite it in church as if it's the prayer to pray. Every time in all the scriptures that I hear it referenced, it always says, the Lord said, pray like this, mm-hmm. not pray this. All right. And yet we make it as if some sort of ritual were required to speak. I think it's really important to understand why Jesus put the elements in that prayer he did, but not think that just because Jesus said it, I might just parrot his words that somehow it has power in me. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's true about any scripture. Just because we speak the words does not mean our heart has engaged it and the Holy Spirit has blessed it. We really need to dig here. So this prayer, this Psalm 51, this confession of David's, may or may not fit for your own personal experience. You may have, in fact, done something egregious and been involved with the demise of a human being and stolen somebody else's wife. You may have done all those things, but probably not. Now, as you're reading this, remember that David is speaking from his experience in his experience, and we can learn from that. Mm. Now, we're going to jump in at verse 8. The last two episodes, we've talked about David's crooked dealings and how they ended up in great disaster for others and for him. And we talked about how he did not confess that he owed anything to anybody. He was just talking to God about his relationship with him. Therefore, as far as we're concerned, the record's kind of incomplete. He hasn't really made restitution or restored or tried to restore a relationship with those he's harmed on this earth. He's just dealing with God here, which tells me that it ain't the whole picture. I don't believe that God would say, no, just deal with me. Forget about those other people. Don't make things right with them. I'm the one you hurt. Just deal with me. David's not confessing to God because he's the only one he's harmed, but because he's the one he's talking to right now. Exactly. And I I think we know the backstory in as much detail as we're given in Scripture. We don't know the outcome completely of the story. We do know that Bathsheba was taken in and David made her his wife. Then their son Solomon went on to be king later. But we really don't know about their private conversations or any of the other things that uh, transpired between them after the fact. So, yeah, we have to take it all with a grain of salt in that way. I will say what you were saying earlier about David's words. One of the things that I get as an example from David is David had the confidence in his relationship with God that he could emote the way he did. And in some ways we read that as being overconfident, being presumptuous. I don't think it is because I think God says, approach me like this. Exactly. But we have to get over our own pride, I think, sometimes to say, I don't feel like I deserve to do this, but God said do it anyway. In other words, throw yourself on the mercy of the court in one way. But another way is to say, throw yourself on the mercy of your dad. Mm -hmm. Go to the Godhead and Mm -hmm. say, this is who I am. And you see this more clearly than I do even. Well, we have a great example of that in the prodigal son story too. Just come home, God is saying, and I'll throw my arms around you. But also in Hebrews, it tells us, approach the throne of God with With confidence. confidence. And so I believe, and it's hard for me, But we can do that. We can approach God with confidence that he loves us that much. And we're only positively confident when we really truly believe that in approaching, we will not be punished for it or shamed for it. We have to believe this and not just say, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And we talk about many times on this program in other contexts, our emotions will tell us the truth about what we believe, Mm -hmm. not necessarily what God believes, but we'll definitely know what we believe by what comes out of our heart. And if we are really afraid to go before God, like Adam and Eve in the garden, so to speak, because we're assuming that we're going to be punished for something we've just done. 
what we believe is going to radically change the way we talk to God and listen for what he has to say mm, to us. That's good. Mm. So asking God to open us up so we can hear what he has to say and the motivations behind it, not misunderstand what God says because we assume he is vengeful against us. Yeah. These are all things that we have to let the Holy Spirit really work on us before we even approach the word. Say, I don't even know how to come to you and learn about these things, or to confess properly, or to accept your forgiveness. I just don't really know how. If we will be honest about that, I do believe the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, and with Father and Son come together in us to say, okay, here's how it really is. Mm -hmm. David is in the first step of that journey with God right now. He hasn't solved all his problems. He hasn't even found a way to apologize to those he's harmed. But he has at least gone before God saying, this is the way I feel right now. I feel like a worm. I feel like I was a bag of sin in my mother's womb before I even came out. I'm useless. I'm worthless. That's what he feels. Yeah. It's not to say that God's going to leave him in those feelings or say, yep, you're absolutely right. He's going to say, you're my son. In spite of yourself, yeah. you're still my son. Right. And we're going to jump in now at verse 8. We're going to go 8 through 14. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. Let's talk about the word salvation. Okay. Uh, when we think about this, you know, after the cross, looking back on what Jesus has done for us in this world, it's in our prehistory. None of us were alive when Jesus did these things. And we're as removed from them and even farther from them than David was historically before them. Mm. He says that God's salvation is real and it's present. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. Let's talk about the word salvation. Okay. Uh, when we think about this, you know, after the cross, looking back on what Jesus has done for us in this world, it's in our prehistory. None of us were alive when Jesus did these things. And we're as removed from them and even farther from them than David was historically before them. Mm. He says that God's salvation is real and it's present. In what respect do you think David understood 
salvation, having not seen what Jesus was doing on the cross? Mm, That's a great question. The way I read this, I see how the history that David is drawing from is the salvation of the people of Israel from captivity. David's maybe referencing their salvation from bondage in Egypt you know, mm-hmm. years before his birth. I see David understanding that God has delivered them over and over and over from enemies that have come against the nation of Israel. I mean, through King Saul and David fighting against the Philistines, against Goliath, and even having to fight against King Saul himself, having redeemed the nation of Israel from the treachery of Saul. David understands that kind of salvation. I think he also understands the salvation that God extends to him because of his relationship, his deep love and passion. There you go. That is an interesting twist there, honey. This is David's professional resume here. He has been part of the salvation of his nation after a really bad leadership problem. It could have ended with King Saul. The whole nation could have crumbled afterwards and it could have broken apart and all the tribes go their own way. But it didn't. It held together in David. And now he finds himself as, as he would put it, an enemy of God. Hmm. And he's, as an enemy, asking God for mercy and bring me back into relationship with you. I've done this to our relationship. I've broken it. There were times even in David's experience where salvation came to other nations because God told him not to destroy them. Mm-hmm. David extended God's mercy to other tribes and peoples or offered protection for those, even if they weren't worshiping their God. Something about God's plan, his economy said, don't destroy them. Mm. In fact, win them. God knows the hearts and minds of people, all of us, all the time, right? Right. So he knows where he's going with each relationship and potential relationship or what kind of restoration or salvation or healing he's going to provide to any group of people or individual. And now David is suddenly, I think, emotionally identifying with those who found themselves on the back end of the stick there years ago, when he was the vengeance of God against those who were evildoers. Now he's realizing, like anybody in the history of ever, we're at the mercy of God. So what's that mercy going to look like? Well, he has experienced some of it personally already, but now he's really getting to know it personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, up front and close. I think one of the verses that really stuck out to me was just in verse 8, where he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Mm. I thought, what does that mean? I looked it up in several different commentaries, and one of them that I read really stuck out to me. And It was saying that all of us at some time in our life have or will experience the bone-crushing realization that we have done wrong. Yeah. And it is that severe of an emotion or of of a pain that we have really done something hurtful. Mia culpa. Last week, we talked a little bit about the issue of original sin. And we don't think that David is talking about a doctrine here or establishing one. But he is talking about where the origins of sin in his life come from. And he is confessing, it didn't start outside of me. It's within me. My sin is my sin. And I have to deal with God on the basis of his mercy and his word to me in relationship to him in the context of the fact that I have really messed up or I am in the process of messing up or that I keep living like I want to mess things up compared to what God wants for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not nearly as concerned when I'm talking with any individual about original sin and a doctrine, but I am definitely concerned with talking with somebody about where did this start? Is someone else to blame for everything I do Mm -hmm. or do I accept responsibility Mm -hmm. for what I do? 
And if I do, I discover there's going to be spots in my life or large portions of it that are chock full of sin. Yeah. It starts within us. Yeah. And so I think the idea of the origins of sin is just as important as the idea of original sin. Yeah. It's important to note, too, that at some point we'll have to understand that our sin affects us. Mm emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and a lot of times physically, the things that we do will crush us because we're so entrenched in it. And we do it without thought in some ways. And Dave is able to say the bones you have crushed. He's not like saying that God's been vindictive or vengeful against him. But what happens when you suddenly come to the realization that what that person that you say you respect says is actually true Mm. about you? Not because the great judger in the sky, this Thor throwing a lightning bolt at us, wants to smite us, but because God in his holiness told us the truth, and not unkindly, Mm -hmm. but it was enough to crush us because we got it. Mm -hmm. We finally perceived what we had done was wholly and completely outside the realm of what God was saying, son, you were made for more than this. You Mm -hmm. were made for better than this. Now you've got an entire mess of a kingdom on your hand and a destroyed family and people dead. Do you not see what this is doing to you and to your people? Mm-hmm. When someone appeals to us for our love to them, it's a different conversation than someone just cracking the whip at us. Yeah. And I've been in my lifetime with parents or other mentors have been able to tell me hard truths about myself, not because they were unkind and not because they're trying to put me in my place, but because they loved me more than what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And when you hear that, it is crushing, but it's supposed to provide a way out of escape Mm -hmm. and of hope Mm -hmm. and not despair. So any real relationship, I think, is going to have those kind of elements in it. He asked God to cover his face so he will not see his sins anymore. Mm. Again, that reminds me of the scripture that says, He has removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Not that I think God doesn't see me when he looks at me, you know, because of my sin or my evilness. <laughs> but I think he sees me. Yeah. But he looks at me with such love that I don't want to say it doesn't matter what I've done, but it doesn't change the way he feels about me. I think as a parent, we can say things like that about our children. You know, our children did this or that, or they told a lie or they disobeyed. It doesn't change our love for them. Mm. We still look at them as our child, as our dearly beloved little one, yet we don't see that transgression. We don't see that meanness or that sin that they've committed. We see them. And I think that's what God is saying here, what David is saying. Don't look at my sin. Just look at me, God. Yeah, I get that. I see two other ways of approaching this, just from those two words. In all translations I've read, too, it says, cover your face so you will not see my sins. Mm -hmm. It's like peekaboo. You know, mm. like when you play a game with a child, there's a silliness to it. There's a joy in there. This is not about joy, but there's something about him that says, I can't stand for you to see me like this. Yeah. To ask God to completely blind himself from seeing you mm. because you can't bear the weight of his view of you. Mm. I look in the mirror and I see nothing but sin. From his own emotion, he's appealing to God from the same well of despair in that regard. Mm. He's asking God, please don't even look at me because I can't bear it. He's also not, in one sense, covering it like the Shekinah glory, like dim yourself, like where you just put a mask across your face, keep your eyes open. He's literally saying, don't look. Mm -hmm. 
This is not about God's integrity at all. It's absolutely about David acknowledging in another poetic form here the range of the depth of his transgression. It's not saying that God can't see these things or that he shouldn't or that it didn't really happen or it's not that important or disregard this. He's literally saying, I cannot bear the glare of my father's gaze. It's just another way of saying, I don't know what to do. It's like the prodigal son coming back and saying to his father, just let me live as a servant. Don't don't even acknowledge me right. as your son. I don't just want to be name, yeah. a servant in your household. And the, the father says, no, you are my child yeah. and you're welcomed home. I think David is going to learn that from this confession. He's going to learn that. He's made this speech, you know, like the prodigal son. Right. And God is just like, no, I'm your dad. I'm going to bring you home. And And think about the weight of that kind of forgiveness and generosity, the overflowing of the cup, pour it out for your son. How crushing that would be even for the prodigal coming home. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve this. Mm -hmm. We always go through some of those things when we know we've really screwed up. And then we find that that person has already forgiven us. Like we didn't realize that they were already thinking good of us before we even came back. Mm-hmm. You know, we assume that it's going to open up all kinds of old wounds and it's going to be a horrible experience and I'll get what I deserve and I'll get a tongue lashing from my dad because I finally came home. Why did it take you so long? Don't you realize what you've done to this family? We assume all these things are already in the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And David is too on one level, but he's also kind of split minded because he's still presuming that God is a forgiving and merciful God. He appeals to that, but he just doesn't feel it. And yet there's a courage within him to go throw it on the table Mm -hmm. and say, I'm back. What are we going to do now? So that verse 14 ends up in my translation. I'm reading here from the voice. Free me from the guilt of murder, of shedding a man's blood. O God who saves me. Now my tongue, which was used to destroy, will be used to sing with deep delight of how right and just you are. Mm Mm-hmm. Can we really sing about God's correctness, his rightness, and his justice if we don't understand the depth of his love, his forgiveness, and his restoration power at the same time? Mm. If we're stuck on the justice side of things, we sing of God's justice, we sing angry songs. Mm. David is not talking about trying to sing an angry song at God. Mm -hmm. This is worship here. I will sing of how right and just you are, but that's not all of it. Of course he's just. Of course he's right. But I've experienced that rightness and that justice did not smear me on the sidewalk. Right. I survived this because he willed it for me to be his son. Mm-hmm. That's great hope. So we talk about salvation. I'm sure David would understand in this situation, God saved me from myself. Mm-hmm. And he might save me for another day to do something of his will and for his purposes and that he won't cast me aside. Mm-hmm. I have a place. I have a father who has not forgotten me. Yeah. Well, I like in verse 12, too, that he says, give back to me the deep delight of being saved by you mm-hmm. and let your willing spirit sustain me. So he's confident that yes. God's spirit is willing to sustain him. And he talks about this deep delight yeah. that he has in knowing that and being saved by God's spirit. I think we've got to draw a line on it here and say, (laughs) part three of this Psalm 51, this is what we got for you today. There's a turning of our attitudes ourselves in the Psalm of great hope and joy to come. And there's been a lot of hurt and harm done that led to great grief within. 
All those stages are present in this psalm. And maybe you have gone through or are going through things that are leading you into the saying, how bad can it get? How bad am I? Am I really redeemable? Am I too far gone that God can save me? You know, David deserved far worse than he got legally, emotionally, relationally. And God restored him at a cost to himself and to David's pride and to his reputation. He still dug a hole that was going to chase him the rest of his life, metaphorically speaking. Mm -hmm. But he did have his life and he still has his father. And on that note of hope, we hope you'll be able to ask God bravely when he calls you to him to be the God, to be the father you need in what you're going through right now. Thanks for joining us today and we'll see you tomorrow on the next Compassion Radio. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.